Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our host, Steve Butler. On today's program, our series entitled, The Second Coming Versus the Rapture, as he opens God's Word to study the difference between the rapture and the second coming. It's time to explore Bible prophecy. Hello, and welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy. Once again, we're going to pick up in this program where we left off last time, and that's in point number four, point number four in our series on the differences between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ to the earth. And we have been spending the last uh, few programs of this series in the um, point number four, dealing with the second coming. Now, if you're visiting with us for the first time or you have uh, just been listening for a short time, uh, you may or may not know that you can find a handout that we are using uh, for this series, as we do for all of our series, because we want to cover a lot of Scripture. So we let the Bible interpret the Bible, and the only way to do that is to go throughout the Bible looking for corroborating Scriptures, knowing uh, and believing that the Bible never contradicts itself. So we know that if it makes a point in one place, it'll have corroborating information to amplify that and prove that point to us so that we don't take a scripture out of context and build a doctrine around it, which unfortunately is a quite common thing that's happened over the last oh, oh centuries. But that's a subject in a series for another day, isn't it? But we're in point number four in to that handout, the point about the handout, you can find it on the website here at the radio station, whcbradio.org, whcbradio.org, and it's at Exploring Bible Prophecy. And going on that uh, information in point number four, we're looking at the point that Jesus comes back at the second coming. He steps, uh, puts his feet down on the Mount of Olives, as had been prophesied, in Acts chapter 1, in Zechariah chapter 14. And he comes and he brings judgment to the earth. And we've been going over those judgment passages. Uh, Again, not exhaustive, but just some examples for us. In uh, Zechariah 14, where he goes to fight at the Battle of Armageddon. John chapter 5, where it tells us that Jesus is coming to judge um, as the Son of Man, because we know that the Son of Man brings judgment And we know that the Son of God brings rewards and blessings. So we know that uh, this is all about the second coming because we see Son of Man throughout the passages. Then in Joel chapters 2 and 3, Joel, one of the minor prophets, like Zechariah, talks about the judgment of the day of the Lord and how it's going to be dark and gloomy and that God is going, Jesus rather, is going to judge the nations for how they scattered Israel around the world to the the Gentile nations and how they divided the land of Israel, which, of course, we know is very real. And he's going to bring those nations to judgment in the Valley of Jehoshaphat. And we know that uh, the Valley of Jehoshaphat is where God judges, and it's most likely going to be the valley. Uh, A lot of theologians put the Valley of Jehoshaphat as the Kidron Valley, which is a long valley that runs right through Jerusalem, dividing the Temple Mount from the Mount of Olives, uh, which is about, oh, less than a mile apart. So that's where the nations are going to be judged by God, which is, of course, uh, 
that's where Armageddon, the battle, will actually be fought is in Jerusalem. And then uh, we move on to the blessings in the millennial kingdom where the Lord blesses Israel, brings Israel back into the fold as a righteous people, which is what God had intended them uh, to be all along when he wed them way back in Exodus 19 and then gave them the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. Um, talks about his glorious throne and his uh, temple being set up on the Mount of uh, uh, Mount Moriah, which is the Temple Mount, and about how it's going to be a glorious place. Then in Zechariah, again, uh, one of the minor prophets, second to the last book of the Old Testament, we were in Zechariah 2, talking about um, how the Lord is coming back in his glory and that he will defend Israel um, because they have been um, attacked over the millennia by this point at the second coming and have uh, touched the apple of God's eye. What a wonderful picture of the relationship between Israel and God the Father. And then in uh, Zechariah chapter 8, 20 to 23, we talked about how during the beginning of the millennial kingdom that the Gentile nations will grab hold of the cloak, as it says, and will grab the the hem of a cloak of a Jew and say, we want to go with you to Jerusalem to worship the Lord and to be led by his laws and his ordinances. Uh, so it's, it's a beautiful picture of uh, peace and uh, prosperity coming into the millennial kingdom and to uh, be that way for a period of time that I want to then amplify on here. We got into Ezekiel 36, and Ezekiel is uh, one of the, the three books which is Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, were written by contemporaries during the Babylonian captivity. And Ezekiel particularly has some wonderful prophecies about the uh, millennial kingdom. And we started reading in Ezekiel chapter 36, Ezekiel chapter 36, and we started reading in verse 22 for one of the two passages that I want to share with you, the other one being 43, where it talks about the actual temple. But in Ezekiel chapter 36, let me go back. Some, we got down to verse um, 26. So let me read 22 to 26 rather quickly here, and then we'll move on because we want to go to the end of this wonderful chapter because it's all about the millennial uh, kingdom being set up and the focus being on Israel. Verse 22, therefore say, say to the house of Israel. So this is talking to uh, Ezekiel. Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. Verse 24, For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. And let's step out of 24 real quick, because that is a direct reference, if you will. This is Ezekiel, which was written in the 500s B.C., and it's a direct related passage to um, Matthew 24, written, you know, 600 years later in Matthew 24, prophesying about the same thing where it says that when Jesus comes back, he'll send his angels out 
to gather the Jews from all the lands and bring them back to Jerusalem where he will, uh, to the area there and that he will judge them and then allow the righteous to populate Israel during the millennial kingdom. And then that leads to Romans eleven twenty six, where it says at that point, after they've been judged, that all Israel will be saved. So in the millennial kingdom at the beginning, the Jews living in Israel will all be counted as righteous by the Lord. And of course, that's never happened before in history, and that'll be a wonderful time. And we'll go on to read this because it describes what it's going to be like there uh, at that point when all Israel is saved. So again, uh, to reiterate verse 24, for I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands and bring you into your own land. Verse 25, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So this is a a major, major comment, a point of truth that God is making here, that at this point, when Romans 11, 11, Paul wrote that all Israel will be saved, because at that point, God says, I will give them, give Israel a new heart. Looking at verse 26 here in Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And of course, we talked about in our last um, program about, um, well, over a number of programs, but specifically related to this point in time with Israel in the millennial kingdom, that like the church, the Holy Spirit will be placed in each of those Jews living in Israel in the millennial kingdom, unlike the whole history of Israel where the Holy Spirit could come on an individual like it did on King David, and it could leave an individual like it left King Saul. And we know that it can come and go like that because David prayed, Lord, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And he said that and prayed that in, in Psalm 51. So, when the church age came, the Holy Spirit would then change from coming on a person to coming within the person. And when he came within the person, John chapter 14 says that the Holy Spirit would never leave you once he, once he came in. So we see that word forever as a uh, confidence that we have. So the same thing for Israel in verse 26 here, that they, I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. So we're talking about Old Testament things. We're talking about going back to Old Testament economies as far as God's relationship with his people through Jesus Christ, that there will be the um, statutes and the ordinances that are to be followed just as we'll find out um, in other programs, that there are sacrifices in the uh, temple in Jerusalem during the millennial kingdom. So you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Verse 28, you will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers so that you will be my people and I will be your God. Verse 29, moreover, I will save you from all your uncleanness and I will call for the grain and multiply it, 
and I will not bring a famine on you. And of course, that's the history of Israel was famine after famine. God used famines to get the attention of Israel and to punish Israel to try and get them to come back to him. So uh, we, famines were common in Israel. And he says, I will not bring a famine on you again. Verse 30, I will multiply the fruit of the trees and the produce of the field so that you will not receive again the disgrace of famine among the nations. So you can see that it's going to be a, a, a lush environment uh, in the millennial kingdom. And he's talking about Israel specifically here. And of course, it would, we would imagine that would be um, generally throughout the earth. We know that nations that uh, during the millennial kingdom that do not come to Jerusalem to worship the Lord, that's Zechariah 14, I believe, starting at verse 16, they will not receive rain. But otherwise, there will be rain on the earth to bring about these wonderful harvests of the grain in verse 29 and the fruits of the trees and the produce of the field in verse 30. And we know specifically that Israel will be blessed throughout the millennial kingdom uh, with all of this uh, glory from the Lord. Verse 31, then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were no good, that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. I am not doing this for your sake, declares the Lord. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. So the point here is that when Israel comes back, and is judged, and righteous Israel is separated out by God and is allowed to go into the land of Israel, one of the first things they're going to do, and Zechariah amplifies this even more uh, in his book in the Bible, that it says the first thing they're going to do is mourn for what they realized. And what they realized is that, hey, I could have had this 2,000 years ago because that's when Jesus came the first time. And instead of accepting him and enjoying 2,000 years of this wonderful kingdom that we see now in the millennial kingdom, we could have had this 2,000 years ago. So they're going to mourn from, uh, it says, from King David on down in Zechariah, because King David is going to be brought back uh, at the resurrection and will be a prince over the land of Israel. Of course, Jesus will be the king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But it says David will come back, and David all the way down to the last Jew will mourn and realize what they had done in crucifying Christ 2,000 years before and missing out on this for two millennia. And he says, I'm, I'm not doing this for your sake, God saying, I'm doing it for mine and my holy name. Verse uh, 33 in Ezekiel 36, verse 33, Thus says the Lord God, On that day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited, and the waste places will be rebuilt. The desolate land will be cultivated instead of being a desolation in the sight of everyone who passes by. They will say, This desolate land has become like the Garden of Eden. And the waste, desolate, and ruined cities are fortified and inhabited. Verse 36. Then the nations that are left round about you. And of course, stepping out here, that's after Armageddon. Armageddon is going to be uh, the last battle 
of the tribulation period, and we know that uh, you could speculate anywhere from a half to three-quarters of all the Earth's population will be gone uh, during the seven years of tribulation. So there'll be just a, a very few relative to what it was like before the tribulation, very few left afterwards. And it says that in verse 36. Then the nations that are left round about you will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted that which was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken and will do it. Thus the Lord God, verse 37, thus says the Lord God, this also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them. I will increase their men like a flock, like the flock of sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem during her appointed feasts. So will the waste cities be filled with flocks of men. Then they will know that I am the Lord. So many of the Israelites will have been punished and killed uh, by the Lord during the tribulation period, yet they will be, the Lord will increase the numbers of the men like flocks, and Jerusalem at the three feasts each year was absolutely packed with flocks of sheep that were brought for sacrifice. So the men in the cities will be the flocks, like the flocks at the time of sacrifice in Jerusalem. Okay, so now we want to answer a question from a, a listener. So we'll pick up the series here in Ezekiel. Next time we'll be in uh, Ezekiel 43. But right now we want to answer a question from a listener. And this comes from a listener in Kingsport. And the question is, is there a difference between hell and the lake of fire? Is there a difference between hell and the lake of fire? Great question. So the first thing we need to do is define terms that are being used. We hear, for example, words and phrases like Sheol, Hades, Hell, Gehenna, the place of torment, and the lake of fire. So a variety of words and phrases that we see when we listen to the pastor's talk. In the Old Testament, the scriptures are written in Hebrew. The place uh, that the Old, Old Testament writers called the realm of the dead or the place of the dead or the place of the departed spirits was called in Hebrew Sheol. So when a person died, uh, whoever they were, they went to this place called Sheol. Some Old Testament scriptures where we find the use of Sheol or Job chapter 7, uh, Job chapter 7, verse 9. We also find it in Psalm 49, 15. We find it in Isaiah 38, 10. And we find it in Ezekiel 32, um, verse 27. Now, you've got all these uh, four different scriptures, but there's one place that we haven't been uh, in this particular series, and it's one of those books you don't go to that often, and we want to explore as many books of the Bible as we can during uh, Exploring Bible Prophecy series. So let's go find the book of Job, the book of Job, and uh, some theologians believe it's the oldest book in the Bible, uh, even before uh, the, the chronicling of Moses for the first five books. But if you go in your Bible towards the, uh, oh, about a third of the way into your Bible, 
and you start seeing First uh, and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, then you get Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, and then you find Job. So Nehemiah, Esther, and then you find Job. And let's go to Job chapter 7. Job chapter 7. And in verse 9, it says, When a cloud vanishes, it is gone. So he he who goes down to Sheol does not come up. So the point is, when a person dies, they go to this place called Sheol, and they vanish like a cloud that vanishes. So it's a place of the departed, uh, a place of the dead, if you will. And in the New Testament, uh, which is written in Greek, the word Sheol is changed to Hades, from Sheol to Hades. And we find the use of the word Hades um, in several places in the Old Testament. Matthew chapter 11, verse 23, uh, Luke 16, and that's 19 to 26, and then Acts 2, verse 31. And let's go to um, Luke 16 of those three New Testament passages to get an idea about Hades. And, of course, this is Lazarus and the rich man. So in Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, in the New Testament Gospels, the first four books, we want to go to the third one, which is Luke, and go to chapter 16, starting at verse 19, and see if we can get a flavor here for what... Um, Hades or Sheol look like. So in Luke chapter 16, starting at verse 19, now there was a rich man and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate covered with sores and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. Verse 23. In Hades he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger into water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. So let's stop right there in Luke 16 and just point out that in Hades you had two areas. You had the one side, which is where the rich man went, and you can see from his um, pleading for Abraham to send Lazarus to dip his finger in water to touch it to my tongue because of the agony in this flame. And then there's a chasm between them, this big divide that neither side can cross over to the other. And you can see the man describes where Lazarus is, and he is leaning against Father Abraham. So a picture of solitude, a picture of comfort, uh, a very positive-looking picture as opposed to the very negative picture on the other side of that chasm in Hades. And just as John leaned against the bosom of Jesus at the Last Supper in the famous picture, you see Lazarus leaning against Abraham's chest or bosom. So that's where you have the term Abraham's bosom. It was the 
righteous side of Hades as opposed to the unrighteous side where the rich man was in agony in the flames. So that's a description of what the Old Testament calls Sheol and what the New Testament calls Hades. So they're basically interchangeable words depending on, it's kind of like Saul and Paul. One was Hebrew, the other one was his Greek name. The word Gehenna is the is a uh, a Greek word in the New Testament for hell. Now we're getting a little different here. We've got a land of the departed, and now we're talking about getting specific with the land where you're tormented. It's the land. It's the uh, place called hell, and it comes from the Hebrew word Hinnom. Gehenna does. Gehenna comes from the Hebrew word Hinnom, which is the name of the valley located just to the south of the old city of Jerusalem. In uh, ancient times in the Old Testament, pagan worship was conducted there in that valley just south of the Temple Mount. Uh, In the worst form of that pagan worship, followers would throw their babies into a fire uh, that represented the false deity. And we find that in Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 31. And in Jeremiah 19, uh, verses 22 uh, to 6. So this is where the, uh, they would throw their babies literally into the fire. And then in later times, that same valley of Gehenna, or Hinnom in the uh, Greek, was also used as a garbage dump that was described as always on fire and smoke always was billowing up from it. So the valley became a metaphor for the fire and smoke of hell. So in the New Testament, the word hell was used to convey the meaning of punishment while waiting for a final judgment. So this was the side of Hades where the rich man was in the Luke account in Luke uh, chapter 16. And um, the New Testament scriptures, uh, the word hell is used in several places, Matthew Chapter 5, verse 22, Mark 9, verse 47, and 2 Peter uh, 2, verse 4. But uh, to relate Sheol or Hades and Gehenna hell, Hades would be the entirety of the place of the departed spirits in the Old Testament, while Gehenna or hell was the portion of that place designated for the unrighteous. And to, uh, to pull that all together... Um, those uh, Sheol, Hades, the general place, Gehenna, the unrighteous side, the lake of fire did not come into play until the great white throne judgment when all of those people that were in hell or Gehenna were then thrown into the lake of fire at the final judgment. So there is a difference between hell, the temporary place for the unrighteous, and the lake of fire, the eternal place of the unrighteous. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on today's Exploring Bible Prophecy. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.